speaking to me. All right, you may be seated. Thank you very much for doing that. I'd like to just remind you, you know, so when you open your Bible every day to read, you think, yep, I remember pastor telling us, say, this is my Bible. Amen. And it speaks to us. So we're in this series in Ephesians, and we're going to finish up chapter two today, I believe. And uh, so if you want to turn there with me to Ephesians chapter two, and we're going to go ahead and start with verse 19, um, just to sort of lay uh, uh, some information prior to that. We, uh, we, as we looked at this last week, we talked about how God gives us gifts, supernatural abilities to be able to overcome natural deficits in our life. Um, he then begins, Paul begins to talk about how that we have been brought near by the blood of Christ and that um, the blood of Christ is what has made all of us equals in the kingdom of God, all of us. Male, female, doesn't matter what race, doesn't matter how old we are, we're equals in the body of Christ. You don't become a Christian when you turn 12. Contrary to what some confirmation classes will tell you, that you can't be, you become a Christian when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that can happen at three years old. It can happen, you know, people say, well, they don't know what they're doing. Well, uh, excuse me, how do you know that? And what prayers does God hear? Prayers that are prayed in faith. Did that Usually Jesus said that, they, that we got to come like children. He says, we need to be like children and come to him. So, hey, man, three-year-old, two-year-old can pray the prayer of salvation, ask Jesus into their life. It makes a difference. Amen. My wife, she uh, likes to read when our granddaughter Verona stays with us. She likes to read to her Bible stories before she goes to bed at night. And... Um, you know, and of course we read Hello Moon and other stuff. Is it Hello Moon? Good night, Moon. What? I can do it myself is the one. I hate that book. <laughs> My daughter Angeline read it, and all I heard the, her whole life was, I can do it myself. And I blame Sharon for buying that book for her. <laughs> Amen. You know, when she when here, when she turned 30, then she read a new book called Dad Help Me. <laughs> Which goes right along with the book, Dad, Get Out Your Wallet. Uh, but anyways, I know some of you have been reading that book recently. Uh, but anyways, uh, the she she would look at Sharon, you know, Sharon would get out a book to read and Verona would look over her and go, Grandma, can you tell me those stories about Jesus again? See, kids know. They pick up stuff. It's spiritual. It's not just natural information. There is a supernatural thing that is going on. And so uh, we should never belittle that. We should never ridicule it. And we should rejoice over it. Amen. Because we know as we train children in the way they should go, when they're old, they will not depart from it. And we don't know how old old is, but we do believe in Jesus' name that at some point of old, they will not depart from the truth that we have taught them. Amen. So Paul begins to talk about how that the scripture, how that through the cross of Christ, that the barriers have been taken down, that now Gentiles, and this is a really big deal. Uh, it doesn't, in our, in our culture, we don't think a lot about this, but in the culture of the Jews, this was a major, major deal. Um, there's a stone that the archaeologists discovered uh, that was a plat. It was like a stone, a, a marker of information in Jerusalem that was in the temple. And this is what it said. Uh, the Jews put it there. 
that anyone who is a Gentile that sets foot upon this ground shall be killed. See, for you and I as Gentiles, as people that are not Jewish, born Jewish, of the Jewish kingdom, we are not welcomed by the Jewish standard into the things of God. This was the great battle that actually existed in the church for a long, long time was to tear down that barrier and that, that God, and that's what Paul is really dealing with here in Ephesians, because the church of Ephesus was a whole bunch of Gentiles. I mean, pagan people, people that didn't have, you know, they have no understanding about Jewish culture, Jewish rites, what were all the, the different rituals that need to be followed. And so Paul says, look, guys, this has all been torn down through Jesus Christ. He has equalized everything. One is not better than the other. A woman is not better than a man. A man is not better than a woman. I should have got good amens on both of those. Men. No, look. Blacks are not better than whites. Whites are not better than blacks. Asians. All cultures. All races. We're not better. Through Christ, Christ is the great equalizer. Okay, he is a great equalizer. And so we need, you know, this is still hard for us at times to take, but we don't even have the prejudice that existed with the Jews. And Paul is just combating this. You know, and I talked to you a little bit about this a couple weeks ago. Look, Paul was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He, He is like, he would be a super Jew. And I mean, this guy was was an extremist. He was killing Christians. And then all of a sudden he becomes a Christian and he goes to these countries that are filled with filth. I mean, you know, all kinds of promiscuity that was there, all kinds of addictions that were there, the the gluttony that was just, you know, um, you talk about like we talk a a lot about uh, alcoholism and and we talk a lot about um, drug addiction. But, you know, the Romans that Paul dealt with, they practice, and, and the Greeks practice this, 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 the rich people practice this deal where they would eat and eat and eat until they were so full that they would vomit all the food out, and then they would go back and eat again. It was eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Well, if you eat like that, eventually you will die probably a lot sooner than you think. And so, you know, this was their practice. They were, they were into everything, and everything was go and it was a free society and live how you want and the bathhouses had all kinds of wicked things going on them in them and here's Paul walking into the midst of all of that and he's saying Jesus Christ loves you this Jew this Jewish individual who died on a cross for you and and the Jews are like they can't be Christians the Gentiles can't be Christians. So Paul, he begins to deal with in the Ephesians about how that through the cross of Christ, he brought us in. I want you to look at verse, uh, if you would, um, verse 16. And that he might reconcile, this is chapter 2, he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the amnity that existed between Jew and Gentile. And he came and he preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Everybody say access. So we, we both, it's, we have, it's through Christ. The Jew cannot get to the Father except through Christ. 
The Gentile cannot get to the Father except through Christ. I mean, I know there are people out there that talk that, that Jewish people get a free pass, but that is not biblical. Look, Jews have to come to Christ just like Gentiles have to come to Christ. Or what would have been the point of preaching to the Jew? Are you all here? You say, well, my favorite preacher doesn't say that. Well, that's, I thought I was your favorite preacher, so <laughs> I, I, obviously not. But I, I'm. thank you, Mona. It's always good to know you have one fan in the crowd. Now look at verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole, the whole building is being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Wow. So what he's saying is, look, God is taking all of us and he's building us together, Jew, Gentile, no matter what our background is, no matter what our race is, no matter what our, what our gender is, he's taking all of that and he's saying, look, I blend you all together and you make up one building. You make up one building that is framed together by me so that I have a dwelling place in the earth. That is such powerful. That is so powerful. And, and I don't know, like I said, without without really having that prejudice of the Jew and the Gentile, but there are things I'm sure that you deal with as prejudice in your life. That, you know, whether it's, uh, and, and look, we don't mean to be this way, but sometimes we have just been educated this way and through ignorance, we, we have prejudices towards people. We have struggles with, you know, we say things uh, that we shouldn't say and we believe things we shouldn't believe and maybe we don't say them, but we still believe them. And, you know, those things, look, whatever those are, what we have to recognize is that through Christ Jesus, we are fitly framed together. We're one building, one building, male, female, young, old, black, white, Asian, red, you know, all the different color spectrum. We're all together as one being fitly framed together. And here's God's divine purpose, that he would have a place to dwell on the earth. Not in buildings. You know, we talk about God dwelling in this building, but Look, this building, actually, for those of you that didn't know, this was an international harvester dealership. Right where you're sitting, they used to fix tractors. Right? They used to fix tractors. And it smelled like oil and diesel and grease and everything else. And that's what was happening in here. The, the buildings that we use in the back, they were all barns that this had stored, stuff stored in them, parts. And the front there where our offices are, I believe that was the service desk at one time where you go and get your parts. So this building is not unique except in the sense that we are fitly framed together in it. We are fitly framed together in it. And, uh, you know, it, it, were we not here? There is no, this purpose is not a church. Any, this building is not a church anymore because you are the church. That's exactly right. Because you are the church. Look at your neighbor and say, you are the church. Yeah. 
You are the church. And we have to remember, this is really, this is really key. You know, I love this. To, I don't know how many of you are doing the daily Bible reading with me, but Ezekiel 37 was part of our reading this morning. And uh, when I was reading that, I was just so blown away because in Ezekiel 37, God says this really incredible thing right towards the end of chapter 37. He says, moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them and I will establish them and I will multiply them and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My tabernacle also shall be with them and indeed I will be their God and they shall be my people and the nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. How powerful is that? That what God is saying to us is, look, this, this has been my dream is to be among my people, to be with my people, to my presence. You know, we talk about, and Chuck brought this up earlier. I thought it was really good. We, we talk about, you know, the presence of the Lord, okay? Well, first of all, the presence of the Lord is already here. Right? Now, let's, let's do this a little different. You're present here, but that doesn't mean you're present. Does it? Yeah, you could be off somewhere else right now thinking about, yeah, we're going to go to Anschutz or we're going to go to KFC after church. I don't know. See, you're not present, right? Or you're thinking, I've seen people balance their checkbook right during church. You might as well have stayed home and do that, right? Unless you were balancing it to see how much you could give, then that's a whole different story, right? <laughs> No, but see that, but see, you can be present and not present. You know, you wives know this about your husband. Sometimes you're talking to him, right? And you're just, and, and look, I, I'm just as bad. And, and, and my wife, Sharon, will say stuff to me and I'm like, uh-huh. And I'll even go, yeah, that's really good. Yeah. And then she'll say, what did I just say? I don't know, something about me being really attractive and you love me and... I'm a great provider. And she said, no, that's not what I said. And so then I got to, then I'm like, got to repent and go, I wasn't really paying attention. See, so you can be present and not present. How do we, even though God's presence is here, and this is what Chuck said earlier, how do you and I experience that present? We have to engage with it. And the way you engage with that presence is by faith. Is by faith. Listen to this passage. This is really awesome. This is a Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So when we come to God in faith and we come in earnest and we come to God and we're like, we're, there's sincerity in our heart and we come humbly before the Lord and, and we're coming based off of the word, which tells us how that you and I can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy in time of need. Then we begin to experience his presence. Now you and I both know that you can go through an entire church service, sing all the songs, give in the offering, pray the prayer, hear the sermon and not be engaged. I've seen people get mad in the parking lot over something and they did not engage during the whole service. They went through the motions, but their mind was somewhere else. So when we talk about being present, we're not, when we say God's presence is here, <clears throat> we're talking about in the gen generality of that his presence is here, but we're also pushing 
trying to get you to go to God in faith to receive of what His presence is. Because it is by faith. Amen? It is by faith that we receive. Hallelujah. So this passage, as he begins talking here, he, he begins to lay out this whole idea that we're building this place, a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. And this is really a reference, and I'll give you these two passages. You can write them down if you're uh, going to do some digging on this later. This is Amos 9, verses 11 through 15. And then in Acts chapter 15, in verse 16 through 17. But this is all a reference to what is talked about in the Scripture as the tabernacle of David. Most of us are familiar with the tabernacle of Moses. The tabernacle of Moses, the one that God designed, told Moses how to build it, we're familiar with that. We know there was a there was a, a, a holy place. We know that there was a holy of holies. That that's where they would put the Ark of the Covenant. You know, Indiana Jones fame. That's where it was all at. Okay, and that so there's this tabernacle, and they would take it down and they would move it until the temple was built. Okay, now Moses' tabernacle is in Jerusalem, but. David, and they're going out to battle, and they're not doing so great in these battles that they're in. So David decides that what I'm going to do is we're going to take the, we're going to take the uh, Ark of the Covenant with us, okay? We're going to take the Ark of the Covenant with us. Because David recognizes through a couple of events that happened that when the Ark of the Covenant was in a certain place, people were blessed there. People were blessed there. I mean, incredible blessings happened in these places. And so David says, you know what? We're going to bring the tabernacle. We're going to bring the ark with us. So David sets up a tent in Gibeon. And that's about, I think it's about six and a half miles from Jerusalem. But he sets up this place on a mountain and he puts the tabernacle. He, 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 they call it David's tabernacle. Now, this tabernacle breaks all the rules. All, I mean, break, it breaks all the rules. You know, in Moses's, you are only allowed in the Holy of Holies. Once a year, you brought the blood in. I mean, you had all these rules. There was a veil that covered it. Not everybody was allowed to go in there to see it. Uh, you had rules about who was allowed. In David's tabernacle, where he has now moved the Ark of the Covenant, there's not what's happening there is, is that everybody's getting to go in there and see it. All the priests are inside there. They're all looking at David goes in. I mean, this whole thing. And, and this is what he's, what he's trying, this is why this is such a big deal. Because David's tabernacle being established in the New Testament for you and I, and that's what we're under. We're not under Moses' tabernacle, we're under David's tabernacle. Means that we all have free access to the presence of God. See, you think that your preacher has access to the presence of God, and what God says is, you all have free access to the presence of God. You all have free access to the presence of God. You know, it's it, it's it just when you when you really study this out, and if you're like to really dig into stuff, this is an amazing study because you just find that David, because of his relationship that he had with God, he didn't he wasn't really a rule follower. He just kind of did it the way he wanted to do it. So he sets up this tent puts the ark right in the middle of it, puts all these priests in there and says, guys, we're going to sing and pray and we're going to have, we're going to worship God night and day. And I mean, it's just going to be powerful. And they go out and they have all these victories. Now, back in Jerusalem, you still have the old system in operation. There's sacrifices happening 
Blood is being shed. Animals are being sacrificed at the tabernacle of Moses. But what God tells us is, is, is that he is establishing the tabernacle of David in the church. And this is with a conclusion. When you look at that passage in Acts chapter 15, you'll see that this is the conclusion that James, the, the head of the church, came to when he, when he saw that Gentiles and Jews were able to praise and worship God together, were able to be Christians and followers of Christ and be part of the body of Christ. And he said that, look, this is what Amos talked about when he talked about that Jews and Gentiles will come together. The tabernacle of David has been established, has been established through Jesus Christ. Powerful, isn't it? Powerful. And so we all have access to the presence of God. Your relationship with God, can I tell you this this morning, can go as far as you want it to. It can go as far as you want it to. Your closeness with God can go as far as you're willing to be able to go because you have the same access. Preachers, look, I know, I, I mean, I have an ability to pastor. That's one of my giftings in my life, and that's a, that's a supernatural gift. But that doesn't make me any closer to God than you. It doesn't. Because I still have to, if it did, then I wouldn't have to read my Bible. I wouldn't have to pray every day. I wouldn't have to repent of my sins because my gift would carry me through. My gift does not carry me through any of that. Nor does an apostle's gift carry them through that. Nor does a prophet's, nor does an evangelist, nor does a teacher's. Our gift only enables us to do something that God has supernaturally established in our lives. Our relationship with God is totally determined by how far we're willing to go, which usually means how many, what sacrifices we're willing to make in our own personal life that he could be glorified in our lives. But that's on us, amen? You know, to go up, you got to give up. Always remember that in life. You're never going to move further ahead till you give up stuff. You're going to get married, you're going to give up stuff. If you think you're going to go into marriage and keep everything, don't get married. You're going to just frustrate yourself and your spouse. You know, you're going to have to give up. There's going to be give and take. You're going to be a part of a, a, you're going to do business. Hey, that business, you're going to have to make all kinds of sacrifices, and it ain't going to be easy. You're going to do a church. you got some of you guys that are going to pastor or going to start ministries. There are going to be all kinds of sacrifices that you're going to have to make. You say, well, why doesn't God tell me all of that? Because he, if he did, you wouldn't do it. He would, he, you would not, do, you'd be like, I'm not doing that. But see, when you, when you go, when you decide to obey God, you decide to go forward, you say, Lord, I want to go deeper with you. How many of you really want to go deeper with God? I mean, come on. How many of you really, I do. I, I want, look, I've been, I've, I was thinking the other day, I've read through the Bible at least, at least 40 times, all the way, cover to cover, read through the Bible at least 40 times. I have Bibles that are marked up. Some of them I've given away just with, you know, I'll go through them and mark them all up, write stuff down. And then I just give them to somebody else. And then I get another one and mark it all up because I, because I want to go as deep as I can go. I want to go as deep as I can go with the things of God. And in all I know about God, all I've studied and all I've learned with almost 40 years of ministry next year, I still feel like there's so much more to know. There's so much more to know about him. So God establishes his tabernacle among us. That's his desire. That's what he had with Adam and Eve in the garden. It says that he came to them in the cool of the day and had conversation with them, 
fellowship with them. That's God's plan for our lives. That's what He wants for His church. So let me give you four things here uh, quickly as we wrap up this morning. Of course, you know if there's four things, we're not going to wrap up quickly, but four things that I want you to write these down if you would. Write the word divine foundation, divine foundation, number two, divine structure, divine structure, three is divine design, and then number four is divine environment, divine environment. So let's talk about the divine foundation that God establishes. That divine foundation that God establishes is built upon, according to this passage we just looked at, is built upon Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. The chief cornerstone. Now, the cornerstone is an interesting, is a, is an interesting thing in architectural architecture because what that cornerstone is, 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 is that the way it is set it determines all the angles, determines all the, the way this whole thing is going to be built out. Uh, any of you that have been in construction, you know how you, you can't really, when you're laying a foundation, you can't be off. You cannot be off, right? Because if you're off a little bit at the beginning, guess where you're off a lot at the end? A lot. So when you start, you want to make sure like you're, accurate right at the beginning. So Jesus Christ, he's the cornerstone. He is the, the accuracy for all the rest of the building. Then on that is laid out around that cornerstone, the prophets and the, the apostles, okay, and that, ha, that, that, that are laid out in this foundation that God builds. That foundation has been set by God Almighty. It is not set by you and I. That's the foundation God Almighty has set. So that if we follow the foundation, if we keep to our foundation, we won't get off. We won't get off. You know, have you ever talked with someone and they were telling you a strange doctrine and you were like, wow, that's really interesting, but it doesn't sound right? That's because it isn't right, okay? It's off the foundation. And when it's off the foundation, and when the foundation begins to get screwed up, then what ends up happening is, is, is that you're going to build the structure the wrong way. It's not going to turn out right. Now, I'm, I'm no expert about carpentry and architectural architecture. I've learned a lot on the farm about, you know, because if you do it right the first time, guess what? Instead of taking a whole day, you get it done in the time you should have got it done. So we have a, amen. So we have the foundation that has been laid by God Himself for you and I. And so He has established what that looks like, what that should be. Look at Luke 14, if you're looking at the scriptures with me. Luke 14, 25. We'll move through these quick. You can write them down and then you can dig back through them later or listen to our podcast and you can get all this information. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and his wife and his children and his brothers and his sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, we're going to get stuck on the word hate here, but remember, if you study this out, you find that what he's saying is love less, that you have to love. Look, you can't let your parents determine your relationship with God. Right? You can't let your wife determine your relationship with God. And please do not let your children determine your relationship with God. Amen. 
He's saying, look, you can't let, if you love them more than, if you love them more than you do me, this isn't going to work. You're not going to be able to be my disciple. So you have to put me first, basically, is what he's saying. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. Verse 33, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So what he's saying is, look, count the cost here. The cost for the foundation is expensive. It really is, because it costs Jesus Christ everything to be the cornerstone. The cost for the foundation was expensive. Every apostle laid down their lives for us to have this message, to have what we have today, okay? So it has been laid in a foundation of human, of physical sacrifice, of sacrifices of people laying down their own lives saying, look, I don't love anything in this life more than I love Jesus Christ, and I will do anything. And that's what God says to us. So realize that that's the way the foundation is laid. That's the, that is what has set the foundation for the rest of the structure. That you can't allow everything else to take over. And that we have to give Jesus first place in our lives. Now, can I just tell you a secret? That will happen and not happen in your life. There will be moments when you'll realize all, you know, you're just going along and you just go, oh my gosh, look how, look what I'm doing. I'm putting me first. I'm putting other things first. I'm putting people first. I'm putting everything else first. And I'm not putting Jesus first in my life. I haven't read my Bible. I'm not spending time in prayer. Uh, I'm not engaged in my daily devotions. I'm just, you know, I've just gotten so caught up in other stuff. And then you'll get back on track because in you, is the cornerstone. In you is the cornerstone. And here's what the book of Philippians says, and this is so powerful. Chapter 1, verse 6. He that has begun a good work in you is able to finish it, complete it. So see, what, what we say and what we believe is, look, God, this is our, our kind of our value of, of uh, transformation. God accepts you as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. <laughs> Amen. Look at your David say he's talking to you right now. And that's true. See, it wouldn't bother me at all to have a church full of sinners. Wouldn't bother me a bit. Do you know why it wouldn't bother me? Because I know that God loves them too much to leave them the way they are. You know, so often, you know, we, we forget that story about David. You know, David, when he started out, he had the worst of the worst. Outcasts, thieves, liars, drunks. They were all, and they all hid in a cave with Dave. David, excuse me. <laughs> Dave. <laughs> I was going into a Cheech and Chong thing. That's not good. Sorry. Forget I said it. Let it go. Some of you don't even know who that is. Just forget it. But Dave is not here. So anyways, 
mean, here he's got this group of people in the cave with him. And like, you know, when you take inventory of that crew, David, but see what the, 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 the thing was that was so powerful is, is that they came to David and said, lead us, lead us. And the Bible says David became a captain to them. And he led them from being these knuckleheads to being mighty men of valor. I mean, men that could believe to do impossible things. Glory to God. So we should never be concerned about our church having people in it that don't look like us or live like us or do like us. They don't smell like us. They don't eat like us. None of that really, they don't even talk like us. Because here's the thing, the gospel, the power of God and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, that they will not be conformed to the world, but will be transformed by the renewing of their mind. Amen. That's good news, isn't it? So we see the foundation has been laid by God, and then we move into the divine structure. How God has determined this structure will look. I want you to go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter 2 and verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7. We should probably start with verse 6. So, therefore, it is also contained in the scripture Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Now, in the book of Psalm 127, in verse 1, it says this, that unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain. That's in Psalm 127, verse 1. It's a great passage. You know, you can do all the study you want on church growth, but unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain. God knows the structure which has got to be based off of the foundation. The foundation, when that is laid, now you have all of the ability, and your, your foundation determines the strength of the structure. The strength of the structure. And so when we realize that we have a strong foundation through the apostles and the prophets, and we stand upon that foundation and recognize that Jesus is the chief cornerstone that has laid all of that out and has made it true for you and I, then we realize that the structure that God is building in His house, what God is doing, how He is adding, how He is working in our lives, He will always fulfill His divine purpose in His church. You know, I'll give you a little secret today, whether you knew this or not. You'll hear a lot of people, especially next year, you're going to hear him talking about that the Antichrist is here, the Antichrist, and the Antichrist, you know, is taking over, and always putting, trying to put fear in God's people. Let me tell you a secret. There have been many Antichrists. He is not the son of the devil, okay? So you've been watching too, much, too many horror movies. The Antichrist is a wicked one that is sold out to the will of the devil, but he is not, he is not the son of the devil. There have been many Antichrists that have existed. But here's the thing, that Antichrist cannot win, cannot take over until the church is gone. Why can he not win? He, our prayers, because there's people 
that are standing on a foundation that has been established by God, whose chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. And he is the one that holds all things together by himself. He's, he's the power. He's the ability. And so the Antichrist cannot take over. He'll try. I think Hitler was an Antichrist. Okay? He was definitely a, an example of it. And he tried to, 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 to do just devastating, horrible things. But he couldn't win. And we think it was because, look, and we have a great military, and it was great that the military worked together. But you hear the backstory of the praying that was going on in the world at that time intercessors that were waking up in the middle of the night and were praying the day the the, the night before d-day happened how that they it, there were intercessors that woke up in the middle of the night interceding for that battle that was about to happen look here's you know we could be strong with armament we can be strong with all the stuff and we should be but the the truth is is that our real strength doesn't come from our weaponry our real strength comes from the lord can I get a good amen? I know, that's, I know that's tough in our world. We don't hear a lot about that, but that's just the way that it is because it's that foundation that has been laid. Hallelujah. So there is a structure that God has established. Galatians chapter 2. Man, I got to move quick here. Oh, it's only 1135. We got a lot of time. All right. Galatians chapter 2, verse 18. Now, you know, Paul is talking to the Galatians and they have, someone has come in and just told them they couldn't be Christians. And so here's what he says in, in verse, um, uh, he says in verse 18, for if I build again, those things, which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor for I, through the law died to the law that I might live to God. And I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives me in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, this foundation that it's laid, don't try to build another foundation on top of it. It's already been set. The grace of God says, all are equal to come into the kingdom of God. All are equal to come into the kingdom of God. All are only made just through the blood of Jesus Christ. The partition has been torn down through Jesus Christ's cross that has eliminated the power of sin. What separated man, what caused all the prejudices, was nothing more than sin. And sin separated us from God. Therefore, man came up with his own ideas. So when we recognize that all of that's been taken, let's not rebuild that in our life. Let's not rebuild in our lives a foundation that says, well, I don't know if God accepts me. When God says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Let's not build again the sinfulness of our past where we came from. I mean, I love to tell te my testimony of what God did, but I'm going to tell you something. You can't, when I tell my testimony of what God did in my life, I'm talking about somebody that's gone. They're not here anymore. I'm not that guy. I'm not even, I'm not even near that guy anymore. I don't even look like that guy. I mean, that, that I, I have been transformed by the power of God. That's the structure that God has established for you. Don't try to build your structure on any other foundation. Somebody told me, Pastor, well, they told me I, I'm not sorry enough for my sins. Look, you, you don't have to. You, 
If you're sorry, you're sorry, period. You turn away from it and you move on. Somebody said it like this, and I love this quote. Nail it and press on. Nail it. I screwed up. Nail it and press on. It's at the cross. Nail it there. Leave it there and move forward. Don't. God didn't call us to go backwards. He called us to go forward. Life is about moving forward, moving past the offense, moving past the sinfulness. And so you and I, we have to determine to do that. God's divine design, we won't turn to this passage, but in 1 Corinthians 6, this was always his design that he had for, his, for this temple that he would build in the earth was is that he would dwell among us, that God would be in us and that God would dwell among his people. He would be in us individually and he would be in our homes. See, when you think about that your house is actually a church, how does that change how you live at your house? Well, it does change some of it. Right? It changes. I mean, I've, we had a lady come in here one time, and she walked in, and the, the, she, she said a curse word in the church. And she says, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Oh, oh, I've sinned. I'm so sorry, Father, or whatever she was calling me. I think it was Father. And, uh, and I, said, I said, look, I said, this is just a building, okay? What you have to do is you have to deal with God on that, not with me. You don't have to ask for my forgiveness. You didn't use my name in vain, right? See, don't let people build a different foundation. God has a divine design, and that is to dwell in his people. He's with you when you go to work. See, in the, in the world, somehow, we developed this idea of secular and religious, which is a flat-out lie of the devil. That is a lie. Well, that's my secular job, and this is my religious job thing. You know, church is religious, but when I go work at the bank or when I go work at wherever I work at, that's, that's secular. Secular means separated. God's not involved with it. There isn't, I'm going to tell you, if you didn't know this, there isn't a thing because you're a Christian that you can do that God is not somehow involved with it anymore because God is in you. You are now, according to that passage in Corinthians, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The church together builds a tabernacle for God to dwell in in the earth as we are together. So wherever you go, whatever job you've got, look, God is with you. God's presence is there with you. Hallelujah. You're not separated from him ever. And there isn't a thing about your life you might try, but you can't separate him out of. You can't separate him out of because he's in you. And even when you go sin, he's in you. He's in you. You know, when I was fighting alcoholism, I used to worry about God leaving me. I mean, I worried. Oh, my Lord. I'd come home drunk. I mean, I, I had to walk home. I didn't have a vehicle. And so I'd walk home at 2, 3 in the morning drunk. Oh, my goodness. Just, you know, staggering home. And while I was walking home, um, on my way home, you know what I would do? I would speak in tongues just to see if the Holy Spirit had left me. And you know what? He never did. It's like the one guy said, you know, when you speed, when you go over the speed limit, the angels jump off your vehicle. He said, dear Lord, I hope that's not true because I need him then more I need him now more than ever when I'm speeding. Look, the Holy Spirit is with you 
always, even to the end. You say, well, pastor, could I do something that would, would totally make the Holy Spirit leave my life? Yet there's one thing you could do. You just basically say, I don't believe it anymore. I don't want it anymore. And that's not what you're doing. So you're going to screw up. Look at your neighbor and say, you're going to screw up. But the Holy Spirit ain't going to jump out of you. Because you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen? All right, that's God's divine design. Last thing, God's divine environment. Now, this doesn't get really any better as far as being easy. Because what is God's divine environment? I want you to look at Hebrews 12 with me. Hebrews 12. We're almost finished. But you're such good disciples, you don't even care. That the Brethren Church is already dismissed and eating your chicken at the restaurant. <laughs> Hebrews 12, verse 14. Wow. Pursue peace with all people. Well, that'll end all the political arguing on Facebook. Now, remember, this is the environment that God wants us to establish in his church, as his people. Pursue peace, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. And then he says, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. See, God's divine environment in this tabernacle to dwell among men is an atmosphere, an environment of, of forgiveness. It's an atmosphere of forgiveness. Forgiveness to pursue peace with all men. It's an atmosphere of you and I realizing that the love of God has forgiven us for so much. So much. It was about 19, about 1987. Jimmy Swaggart, I think that was the year that he got in a lot of trouble. Those of you who know who that is. And uh, had a great worldwide ministry. And the Lord really dealt with me about it. And Brother Swaggart had to step down from all kinds of stuff. And he went through... He went through a lot. And you know what? Rightly so, because there were things that he did that he should not have done. We're not here to talk about that. So there was some stuff going on in the church that I was pastoring at the time. You know, everybody, you know, when someone falls, it's interesting how people become so self-righteous about someone falling, you know. And, well, they deserve what they're getting, and they, sh they should be punished for what. And, and, and look... Uh, that's what they're for their authorities to decide. That's not for you and I to chime in and say. And so, so Swagger, so I, the Lord gave me this incredible illustration. He says, I want you to go to the pulpit and I want you to stand in front of the people and I want you to tell them that you have a list. And on that list, 
is all the sins that they've committed, that you've done your research and you know their backgrounds, you know where they've come from, you know the things that they've been saying on the phone to each other, you know the conversations that have been going on, you know the lies that are being told, the money that's being stolen, the taxes that are being cheated on, and that today we are publicly going to read everything off of the list. Well, it was about as quiet as it is right now in here. And man, I mean, I just, I, I, I probably for five minutes just talked about, and your name is on this list. I want you to know that everybody's name is on this list. Everyone's. And stuff that we should be ashamed of. And I mean, people are, I mean, you could see it. They're white knuckling it. I mean, they're, they're like, oh my gosh. You know, and you know, when a, when a prophet stands up to say something like that, there's a whole lot of quiet repentance going on inside. You're like, okay, Lord, just make that not be true about me. And I don't want everybody to find out. And so I says, I'm going to begin reading the names off this list. And I'm going to call out your sins. And it was dead quiet. And I said, but here's the problem. When I go to read the list, the blood of Christ has washed the list clean. And if God has done that for you, how much more should you do that for the people around you? Instead of carrying your little list around in your wallet and your back pocket and in your purse or this mental list that you've developed in your life that you just, well, I, they, you know, when they fail, I, they deserve it because they hurt me. They should get, they should have that happen to them. Look, the blood of Christ you want us to stand up and start telling all the things that each of us has done? I don't want that. I'm glad that list is washed by the blood of Christ. But here's where Jesus makes it even that much harder for us. He makes it really tough. He says, look, and this is in Matthew 6. He said, if you don't forgive people for what they do to you, he says, then I'm not going to forgive you for what you're doing. Well, that's Old Testament. That's Old Covenant. No, that, that's Jesus saying that. See, because do you realize that forgiveness is the manifestation of the love of God in our lives? See, we think love is that we did something nice for someone, and that is a nice thing. But the greatest love we could ever show anyone is to forgive them. To forgive them. To forgive them. That's the environment of the church. Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. Now on our list today could be family members, could be our kids, could be our, could be our neighbor, could be people we went to school with, could be on and on, could be all kinds of folks. When we see their picture, we could just name off everything that they ever did to us, that they, the way that they hurt us. But what God calls us to do is in an atmosphere of love to say, Lord, from my heart, I make a choice to forgive them because that's all forgiveness is. Look, love is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. Love is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. Love is not a feeling. If you think it's a feeling, you're gravely mistaken. Love is a choice you make in your life that I will love no matter what. It is a decision that you and I have made. It is a decision that God made for us, knowing fully that we could reject everything that he did and end up in hell, but yet he chose to love us, not out of some emotional feel-good thing, 
but because he made the decision to love. Forgiveness is a choice. If you're going to wait until you feel like it, you never will. You choose to forgive. You say, well, I, Pastor, they hurt me. Well, don't trust them, but forgive them. Don't ever mistake the two. Trust is earned. Forgiveness is free. You earn, you earn my trust. Amen. Love doesn't have to trust everybody. That's not what the Scriptures teach. But love does forgive. Love does think the best. Amen. Stand with me if you would. Oh man, I want God's presence. Well, how much do we want it? Because it's in the atmosphere of love is where it happens. The choice that we make no matter what. No matter what. Close your eyes with me. You know, maybe right now the Spirit of God is dealing with you about someone that you need to forgive. And I'm not telling you to go to them. Don't, don't do that, okay? They'll be like the one lady that says, I forgive you for what you did to me. That's just trying to add insult to injury. Look, what we, have to, what we have to do is forgive from our own heart and then by faith say, God, help me every day to move past this, to love like you love. Father, I pray over the, over the airwaves. I pray, Father God, over, um, Lord, those who will hear this in the podcast later. Lord, those here. Lord, I, I, I'm sure all of us have, whether we want to admit it or not, maybe a little bit of a list that we've kept. And God, as you remind us of people that might be on that list, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, may we truly establish that environment of love in your church, in your, in your family, in your tabernacle. And God, I pray that right now, that we would just simply turn to you and say, Lord, I forgive them. I forgive that. I'm not going to think about it anymore. I'm not going to hold it against them anymore. I'm done with that. And Father God, I thank you that your love, Lord God, this great, compassionate love that we sang about here today that surrounds us, has forgiven us, has given us a new life and has seated us in the heavenly places in Christ, has made us part of this great structure that is built on the foundation of the apostles, prophets, and Jesus being the cornerstone. Lord, may we establish a great environment in this church of love and forgiveness. And may we in our homes, Lord God, may they be atmospheres of love and forgiveness. And Father God, in our workplace, may we, Lord, exemplify love and forgiveness, manifesting the love that you have shown us and the forgiveness you have given us. And I thank you for it today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Now,